0: Sorry. Okay. Uh, that all sorted. Again, I, I'm not squeamish necessarily on a person-to-person level about having my face out there. It's just, you know, raw internet is uh, Is that one thing I'd kind of like to keep a little bit of a barrier between. For sure, especially because of what you're exploring, right? Yeah, it's actually, it's it's interesting, and, and maybe we can get go into this, is that I finally had the first negative, negative, a crossover between podcast world and real world where, uh, essentially I, I recently, recently got married and one of my, you know, uh, he and I have a strange relationship now, but one of my long-term friends basically <laughs> found out about the podcast at the wedding and just to use a colloquial term, just absolutely flipped his shit, like just <laughs> lost it. Uh, and <laughs> Admittedly, part of it is because he's a, you know, he's a disinfo researcher at a big school in the Northeast. Right. So he's kind of primed for that. But, uh, I don't know. It only takes one or two of those for you to get, to get paranoid. I will say I, there are some other people who, and I, cause I'm not, again, I'm not, there's nothing I've said on my podcast that I don't believe. It's just, there's a time and place. Right. But I will say your, the interview you and I did for my channel, has been getting passed around and I've gotten exceptional feedback on it. People really, really liked that episode, including people in my personal life.
1: Hmm. Um, what did, what was our, was it our chemistry or?
0: I don't know. They, they basically just thought one, it, uh, the the conversation I got multiple times was I'm not sure who is interviewing who, hmm. <laughs> it was just kind of a funny conversation. Yeah. Welcome or, to
1: Benjamin Boyce interview. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. But uh, generally, and this is what I thought was interesting and what I enjoyed about our conversation was just the fact that, you know, it it went oddly spiritual, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that I think neither of us were expecting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how have you been? I know we haven't spoken directly in a couple of weeks. No.
1: Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, going through a major life event change. So, uh, you know, uh, private life is going whoosh. public life is pretty st- st- stable though, you know, you have your persona and then your personhood. Um, so it's pretty, uh, novel, uh, what's going on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so a new, uh, I guess horizon of opportunity is opening up to me. And, uh, so I'm kind of just rapidly acclimating to that and reconsidering like what I'm doing online. Like I, I always go through a process every year, at least once a year, maybe, uh, Uh, One and a half times a year, I go through a process where uh, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And I start to Hmm. reconsider, like uh, on kind of some sort of processing, like some conscious level, like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Um, Who am I? You know, Um, and not in an existential way, but in a professional way, right? Um, Which I think allows me to change course or at least allows me to prepare to explore different um, avenues or or go in different directions. So as I've gone through the past six years and I'm coming up on my six year anniversary of my first Evergreen video, um, I've been able to go from, you know, the Evergreen story to, uh, you know, gender issues to various different political um, domains. And that's how I kind of eventually gravitated towards your neck of the woods, which is uh, uh, what would it be? What would you consider you and what
0: you're exploring to be? I don't know. I, I would consider myself very much kind of an unapologetic creature of the right. You know, I, I can't deny that. But yeah. I think that a lot of people, you know, and you and I are kind of coming at this from, from different angles, different cultures, have kind of realized that the, the standard options as presented to us through my entire life, through your entire life, that's well, a limited tool set. And the problems we're facing, I mean, it's like someone handed us three hammers. You know, and it's like, all right, well, y- you need to make a vase and those three hammers are almost completely useless for that. And so there's formed this community of people who are kind of genuinely interested in like solving these kind of great problems. And the, the problem with that is that we, we've kind of realized that, wait a minute, like there's some things that we've been lied to about, you know, the kind of core facts about how people work, you know, kind of like the, the way that normal humans have operated. And, and so it, there's this process and I think a lot of us are going through it of kind of pulling at the string, you know, and and hopefully you don't unravel the whole sweater, right? If you can forgive me for mixing metaphors here, but no, there is no, something no. to be said for a fact that I think that there's this, this group of, uh, of, you know, genuine seekers. And there's a lot of different terms that have been used for it. I, I tend not to attach labels to myself just because I, I've said this before. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not finished yet. And mm. so kind of in the process even of begun? finding out. Well, I think so, just because okay. it's like, well, okay, I'm talking to as many people as I can. You know, I'm I'm asking questions and and trying to listen for interesting answers. But what I will say, probably the best term for me, if you want to talk about ideological lineage, is that I am from the kind of the mold bug, Curtis Yarvin diaspora. You know, the, 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 this was a group of people who, you know, are obviously kind of, if you really go back to it, kind of from a post-libertarian sphere, basically mm. people saying like, all right, like, we want we want freedom you know we want you know a way in which people can live you know good lives without this kind of like overwhelming you know state force over top of them and i think a lot yeah. of people would say that sounds good but what moldbug and a lot of people myself included kind of realized is like well wait a minute like one libertarians never win anything you know and two it doesn't seem like the tools set forth for us you know the way that you make change the way that you you know you can you tell your overlords you would like to be ruled. It doesn't seem like that works. And so if that doesn't work, right? If, if protesting, if, if letting people know, getting 50 plus one one1% doesn't seem to work, well, it's like, well, what are our other options? And because I think that the vast majority of people look at the way that you know the society in the US or even globally is trending and say, well, I don't I don't like that. That doesn't seem to be producing good outcomes. And so, given that, I think that whatever you want to say, that group of people who who look at the future and say that doesn't look so good, you know, like, how are we going to avoid this iceberg? I don't know. that's a, that's a very long rambly answer, but that, that's mm-hmm. kind of who I would consider myself mm-hmm. allied with.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm going through uh, is it Alexander Dugan? I think it's Alexander Dugan. Mm-hmm. But Dugan is a Russian philosopher. Um, he's been associated with Putin, but he's just a philosopher. He's a pretty interesting guy. I'm going through his fourth political theory which is really fascinating because it provides a really deep critique of liberalism and as an American growing up you know in the late I was born in, in the 70s grew up in the 80s and the 90s and then I've been a, an adult throughout this millennia I liberalism is what I swim in like progressive liberalism is all, it's just always already assumed and even in the dissident sphere the pre um, dissident right where you have rush limbaugh i guess kind of poking holes or mocking the libs or owning the libs um you know that that duopoly or that monopoly um, that the republicans and the democrats have there's no real questioning of the foundations of what's going on and so with regard to molebug uh Curtis Yarvin, and then all the people who, uh, in his wake, have been kind of pulling at these strings, one thing that I feel is there's a tremendous amount of energy around questioning progress, just trying to say, okay, what is progress? Is progress good? Is progress, is that an assumption of history? Is it an assumption of time? And Dugan gets into this Heideggerian um, kind of... uh, contemplation of time and the liberal order has a certain sort of telos to it a certain sort of direction to it that is particular to a time and a place and a people and that it's trying to universalize itself trying to globalize itself is um because it assumes that it is the one true way path um to even question that is it's heretical and i can see why you would want and and a lot of people in your sphere want to be Need to be anonymous to a certain degree because it is very heretical to even pull at those strings. Because once you pull those strings, then you have to contend with questions about equality, questions about the difference between um, different ethnicities, different sorts of cultures. Um, you know the difference between men and women, and how far can we allow that to you know be questioned? Even just the question, uh, the difference between man and woman. Nobody really wants to it It becomes more and more politically correct, the more radically you question the differences. You know, so so liberals want to, you know, or or pre-trans rights liberals want to kind of go back a little bit, but they don't want to go back too far to where we we say, you know, men should be this way, Women should be that way. We don't want to go there, but we still want to say they are distinct, right. So again, that's a long rambly answer to kind of just lay out the field of of uh, you
0: know, conversation. No, think. definitely, and I, I think that a lot of red state Americans, right, you know, people from areas that are, you know, in, in the American context considered conservative, view the term liberal in very much like a a Rush Limbaugh sense, right? The the liberal Democrats, you know, to kind of use a, a term from another age. But I think that we have to be honest about the fact, and I, I'm a part of this tradition, right? Yeah we're kind of all liberals of one type or another, you know, that you big two like f- channels of thought, you know, tr- at least traditionally speaking in American politics were Jefferson on one hand and Hamilton on the other, mm-hmm. right. You can view this, the one which is kind of a more like aristocratic, you know, states rights based, but still incredibly liberal, or, you know, the kind of like centralized, you know, like, uh, you know, non-federalized version of, uh, know, of, you know, like United States liberalism. And again, I think this is one of the interesting things about when you, you hear a discussion about the far right, you know, the the far right can mean, you know, any number of things. And it's oftentimes, you know, attached to, you know, people like the Boogaloo Boys, right? Who are essentially like ultra constitutionalists, right? Which is kind of odd in a historical context because you're right. Well, mm-hmm. wait a minute. These guys would basically be the antifa of of 1870, you know, mm-hmm. which is what essentially our founding fathers were. You know, they were rich kids who were kind of up on the, you know, the new like cutting edge of you know like <laughs> left wing, uh, you know, left wing ideology. Very and I don't so. say that in a punitive way, but I think that we need to be honest about you know, where we're coming from, and I think that's been especially interesting in my spheres, you know, kind of the, the, the right wing on YouTube has been going and kind of looking outside of, you know, the immediate present when it comes to politics and philosophy, because one of the things that I think really harms conservative Americans is that they are told both by cultural leaders and in many cases, their own leaders that, you know, your, your instincts, your feelings can only be channeled into essentially like conservatism inc to steal Paul Gottfried's turp mm. you know, to, to killing crazy horse ghostwritten by, you know, Bill O'Reilly or to conservative talk radio. And there's in fact, a rich tradition an intellectual tradition that goes back much farther than just see thing in news. Don't like it, you know, like the gosh, darn you know, liberal Democrats want to take away your gas stoves or you're this, or you're that this yeah. kind of like, or put a lowercase fake woman on reactionary bud life. Yeah, exactly. Which is, and and these things can be irritating, but they're not necessarily substantive content. But if you go back, right, you're like, wait a minute, other people have felt like this. There there's real legitimate thought here who have questioned things that because both the left and the right in America are downstream of you know, big L capital or classical liberalism, these are not up for discussion. And again, it's like that analogy I said of, of pulling the string out from the sweater where you're like, well, wait a minute, I never thought about this. I never thought about this. I never thought about this. Yeah. And on one hand, that's kind of scary, right? Cause you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm sawing the branch that I'm sitting on. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of get this bug in you, which I think you have and I have, and a lot of people have here too, which is like, I actually want to know, you know, I want to find out, then you kind of can't stop yourself, and so again, if we're kind of drawing, you know, in group out group, I would consider my friends, you know, the people who can't stop themselves. Hmm. So, what what
1: are some of the? Can we can we drill down into one of the
0: assumptions or one of the alternative assumptions? Um, so well, actually, a really yeah. easy one is is democracy, right? So democracy is there's this. And I mean, capital D democracy, right? Which is kind of this this sacred idea. And and what you'll see is if you were to only read, if you were to only read essentially like, shall we say legacy media, right? You would read a lot of things like, oh, there's a protest in XYZ country. Actually the protests in Georgia, uh, the country of Georgia are a really good example for this, right? protests in Georgia, pro-democracy, challenging this bill that would harm democracy, right? In both contexts, it's pro or for. And then you read it and you're like, wait a minute, the Georgian parliament wanted to pass a bill that would throw out NGOs. So essentially Western political organizations. Now that's anti-democratic. You're like, well, why is it? Because that's decreasing effectively the, the political power of native Georgians right mm-hmm. by allowing american and you know british and european political interference in their politics but it is anti democratic big d and what you learn is essentially that really democracy doesn't actually mean practically the literal dif- dictionary definition it's a, it's a word used by power and so mm-hmm. this is a trap that a lot of conservatives right leaning people and kind of the what i consider like the anti woke crowd fall into which is they say look you're not being consistent and, and the problem is, and this is a very like postmodern critique, is that the power doesn't care about consistency. They don't have to. No, no, no. And so my point in that is not to say, therefore, democracy bad. But my point is to say, like, look at this concept. This concept is not what you were taught in, in civics class, excuse me. And so that's like one level of critique, right? That democracy as, we are, as it is described to us is not necessarily, you know, one to one with what we see in the news. Another one, and this is a deeper critique, is from people like uh, famous Austrian economist Hans Hermann Hoppe, right? Who essentially he says, well, all right, like, well, if we actually believe the promises of democracy, right, that democracy will increase personal freedom, it will limit war, it'll you know make people accountable, is is that true? And what he found in his book, which is kind of a collection of essays, uh, "Democracy: The God That Failed," is he's like, look, this isn't true. You know, when we see the rise of democracy, we don't see the state shrinking. We don't see violence shrinking. If anything, far from it. And the example he uses, right, is the French Revolution. Right? So the French Revolution, you know, the franchise go, it goes from being an absolute monarchy to, to some level of, you know, there's a franchise. Well, and what happens? Well, the French army goes from being, you know, a small professional force to the Levee en masse, right? It's this massive force, the whole country becomes politicized because they have the vote, they have that little nugget of political power, and now they're militarized. And so there's a line of critique that basically says, once you have foisted politics on everyone, yeah. they are a part of the state. They are a target. They are a, you know, a part of the machine. And mm-hmm. so this is kind of a, another line of attacking, quote unquote, democracy, which is that basically democracy is kind of tied to this idea of total war. Mm. And, and if you look at kind of the the... The crumbling of kind of like ritualized European combat, because obviously, and I'm not trying to say that democracy is the, ca- the cause of all evils. Humans are eminently capable of genociding, murdering, raping each other. That's not my point. But within the kind of closed system of European powers, wars had gotten, again, relatively as much as they can safe, because again, these these political entities were controlled by families. And if you're a family, right, you really don't want to leave your kids with a ton of debt you, mm-hmm. because they're your kids. You know, this is a family business. And so yeah. you can't squander all of the family business's capital on some on some war unless it really comes down to it. And so, again, right, that's another thing where you would think that democracy would increase or you if you were kind of following like traditional teaching. You would assume that democracy would increase the amount of accountability our leaders had have. And if anything, far from it. And so my point is not to say like, I am democracy's number one enemy. i have you know I'm democracy's number two enemy. I believe that uh, Putin is democracy's number one enemy. But my point is to say that Mm -hmm. that's one of these threads, right? Democracy as this kind of ultimate good, you know, this kind of like shining beacon that we need to go to forever. That if you kind of examine it, you're like, wait a minute, this isn't all of the promises made haven't been kept. And so what I'm not sitting here saying is, therefore, let's go back to, you know, a Roman style dictatorship or 16th century France. But this is a discussion. This is a, this is a, this is something up for debate. Yeah. And so democracy is just the first one that popped into my head because I've been reading some Austrian economics, you know, another yeah. one is, is equality, right? You know, the idea that you can pause equality at one point, you know, this is what we kind of mentioned before when you said, you know, that the kind of like the pre-trans liberals want to go back to kind of this 1990s, you know, conception of how the world worked. Yeah. But if you view, you know, if you kind of view equality as this, you know, like ultimate precept, well, what, like, why should you stop genuinely? Why should you? And that's a, that's a question that I haven't seen convincingly. Stop. Like, progressing well, the, the idea it's
1: more like splitting hairs further and going from, we're going to eradicate discrimination to we're going to eradicate uh, microaggressions,
0: right? Right. Just it is at for- least... Right. And maybe I've I've gotten somewhat, you know, I've maybe gotten somewhat far away from my original point and and forgive me for that. But basically is, is equality, is that something that you can pin or is it kind of this like wedge that goes on forever? Mm -hmm. Because again, and this goes back to kind of like the core critique of democracy is that equality is a very difficult thing to say no to, you know, when you can put something with that kind of level of moral Like moral weight. And again, and I'm sorry, I feel like I've somewhat overextended myself here, but again, right. It comes back to this idea of like, well, which, which premises, if we're in a situation, right. Where it seems like no one has in the, you know, in the institution of the state in the, in the academy has answers. And it seems like everyone is kind of playing with, if you can imagine if, you know, if nine out of 10, Inputs are fixed. So this would be things like equality. We can't touch equality. Democracy, you can't touch democracy. We only have that extra 10% that we can change. And it seems like the problems facing us are require more than a 10% change. Mm-hmm. Then you start to say, well, like, okay, well, what of these previously fixed inputs? Like, what are we going to examine? And once you start doing it. You you find a lot of interesting things, and so sorry, Benjamin. I, I believe I've gotten kind of well away from our original point, but that's that's merely what I wanted to say.
1: Yeah, the I think one one job or one mission, um, or you know, one thing that needs to be done is to call things what they are. And so, with the word like democracy, if you look at how the Democrats are using the word democracy to justify decreasing democracy to to you know they're they're saying uh, this election's going to end democracy. If we allow this election or if if, if the other team wins, we're going to lose democracy. So we need to do everything in our power. They become more and more baldly undemocratic to preserve democracy. So if we just call it what it is and and the the project of I think um uh, Yarvin in one of his earlier essays, uh, brings up, uh, this Confucian principle of just calling things what they are. Just just say what it is. It's power preserving itself. So power uses equality. We We handed the civil rights movement, handed the government this mandate to create equality. And so the government, this machine, this Leviathan, just will... Do anything in the name of equality, even smashing equality, because it just it has a mandate to do this thing to produce this certain result or something that approaches the certain result. And once we get to woke times and then anti woke times, people who had assumed that equality was good, uh, democracy was good, all these things are good, freedom, even freedom is is a good in and of itself, start to realize that you know freedom actually isn't so good if that means that you know. People are going to be screwing each other in the streets in the name of freedom or liberation. Um, And democracy isn't all that good if it means that... You know, for for a variety of different reasons, it's cloaking. It's a cloak of power, and equality being a cloak of power. So just kind of peeking under the veil. And and uh, you brought up earlier that you know you, you had triggered somebody who works in disinfo. Like, what is it about this thing called disinfo that is really touchy around certain questions? Right? Doesn't that doesn't that kind of reveal a blind spot in this whole disinformation campaign or these colleges, these these academies, and then the government Government itself is wanting to uh, defeat disinfo, but it's not actually defeating disinfo. It, it's trying to strain certain ideas out of uh, out of discourse, or, or to to really control. It's not about disinformation; it's about controlling the Overton window. It's about controlling acceptable discourse, not so much trying to preserve truth or clarity, but rather oh, definitely.
0: to police conformity. And I think that we. Another useful prism to kind of look at this through is is protest, right? Which is if you believe the kind of the standard narrative, right? Which is that protests work because, you know, the the people in power see there's a large group of, you know, my constituents are unhappy. I don't want to lose my spot. So I will, you know, kneel to the crowd. Right. And obviously in, in extremists, right. Like when you have, we'll go back to the French revolution, right when it gets to that scale that that works right when when it's literally like well if i don't and obviously it didn't ultimately work for them but when you literally have yeah. you know thousands of people with with pitchforks outside they tend to get their way not saying that's good but in kind of the the they didn't get more... their way though I, the, the, they they were
1: promised that they would get their way but they just replaced they swapped out one tyranny for another
0: and and it Definitely, turned out to right, be a which worse is tyranny a, which is another point about you know history we can get back to later. But what I mean is yeah. obviously if you get enough people power, that does trump, you know, kind of a you know, the, the governing apparatus, right? That in, in an extreme case. But in the more immediate case, right, within your life or within my life, you know, in, in kind of the you know, last we'll just say hundred years of history, it's not necessarily what's happened. So the, the example I like to use is okay, do you remember? And I'll ask this to people, do you remember when during the BLM protest, the White House got charged. Because no one does. But there was a massive, you know, riot outside the White House. People were trying to hop the fence into the White House. Yeah. That's gone. Why? Well, because it's not particularly useful to keep it around. You yeah. know, like it was kind of it, the the things got outside of what they were, you know, supposed to do. However, mm-hmm. right, you look at at January 6th, right? And this mm-hmm. is kind of this like, this is the new 9-11. This is the seminal event. like, where were you? <laughs> and when you look at those two things and you're like, okay, if we just took at this at the most objective level, right? Or even another example is like, how many times has the Capitol been stormed before? Like I can think of a number of times, right? The Black Panthers even shot, at the, uh, <laughs> shot up the uh, inside of the, the, the Capitol, I believe. My point is, right? A lot of those cases, they, they matter, right? And on paper, you're like, well, these are the same thing. You know, they attacked a government building. They tried to go into the seat of power. But I mean have you seen a wanted poster for anyone who tried to you know who tried to storm the white house over george floyd? I have. But I have seen FBI wanted posters in my own town, right? For people involved in you know the Jan 6 thing. Yes. And so you look at that and you're like, okay, well what what is the what's the determining factor, right? These things are you know close enough to the same case, right? People challenge government. Yeah. But one of them is aligned, and one of them is disaligned with capital P power. What they have with want. actual power, yeah. And so my point in this is to say that this is one of those kind of this is one of those things that you it's, you're kind of crippling yourself if you don't realize that power has this kind of distorting field, right? It's like gravity. You know, it can change time, and and power has this ability to change the like the application of principles, right? Because if you would have asked. You know, most people, in in many cases, likely the same people who were sitting on the the pickup the picket line, you know, over the George Floyd riots. Like, well, what do, what are you doing? Like, oh, well, we're you know, we are protesting for democracy, right? If you would have asked the same people, you know, who are storming the Capitol, what are you here for? Well, we're protesting for you know democracy. We want you know the power held to be account. You know, th- th- this 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 narrative is the same, but right? When it's presented, when it's kind of filtered through the lens of power, well, one of these becomes this kind of like grave, grave threat. And yes. each of these, again, becomes kind of a, a moral justification. And it doesn't matter that they're not being consistent. You know, they're in charge, they win. And I don't know, to me, and, and maybe I'm, I'm I'm rambling on this, but to me, it's, there's, there's certain points at which there's a discussion, right? Between you and me, there's a discussion between people who are kind of engaged in good faith, but there's not necessarily a discussion with power, right? Power does what it wants and justifies it later, and yeah. it will use the exact same language to, you know, lift up its allies and oppress its enemies. And so, my point is, and this is what you're going back to about what you said about you know democracy being kind of a cloak, is that realistically, how is that different from you know the Acrona in Russia? How is that different from kind of like supposedly these you know these systems of oppression? you know, when we're talking about how governments used to work, it's like, it's it's really not, you know, if you cross the state, you'll get punished. If you support the state, you'll get rewarded. Yes. The only difference is like you said, you use that phrase, like a, 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 a shroud or a cloak around power is that it's not clearly laid out. And so my point is, and this is another, you know, kind of like dividing line is what is your, what is your vision of human nature? do you essentially view that humans are a relative constant or that they can be made objectively better or worse? Mm -hmm. And to me, obviously there, there are better and worse societies, but it's kind of a narrow band, you know, people are people. And so when it comes to the way that people organize themselves, we call this this politics, right? Mm -hmm. To be honest, it's kind of always the same. That does not mean that the, the values of those systems are the same, Right that you could say, well, I I don't necessarily, I don't want to exist in a society that participates in, shall we say something like, you know, the Mesoamerican empire, mass scale, human sacrifice. I think that's, that's bad. Okay. So the discussion that we're having, right. Is not necessarily how do humans, like how do humans project power on each other? That's a, we'll just say that's a constant, you know, there's always people getting trampled by power. There's always people allying themselves with it. I would argue we can't fix that. That's kind of how humans are, but you know we can see that who's in power, you know who's in charge, who's making the calls that does materially matter because you know I would prefer you know the people who say no human sacrifice or the people who say human sacrifice in power if that makes sense sorry i do you see what I'm getting at there mm-hmm
1: mm-hmm Let state that last point again
0: So sorry, I view the discussion as not being will there be will there be Coercion, yes or no? Like, will there be state power trampling on people? I view that as a a constant of human organization. Like, it's it's kind of neither a moral or immoral thing. It is simply how it works. Mm -hmm. The the decision, you know, the, the, the defining factor between societies is effectively what values are being enforced and what is the criteria for friend and enemy of the state. And I would argue that our government has a bad system of criteria for not only who is a friend and enemy. But what is kind of the core organizing principles? And so maybe I've, I've been kind of circuitous, like dancing around that. But to me, that's kind of the the core issue up for debate, if that makes so sense.
1: From your point of view, what is what is the United States? What is the values of the current, the USG, uh, whatever that is, well, that that entity, that huge entity with a bunch of heads on top, but this huge apparatus behind it? Like what are the values well, that, that's and-
0: a that's a really interesting question. Cause it kind of brings up the, the the point of well, do the people in charge actually believe what they say? And that's open for debate, right? Because I would make the argument that when it comes to you know, like certain like shadowy banking players, right? Like for instance, right, you'd say like BlackRock and you know these these corporations that have a great deal of power. I would argue if you really pulled the people at the top, they probably don't care about things like ESG, you know? But I will say that I, I would argue that essentially every, every society has a state religion, right? Yes. That everything has kind of an organizing principle. And this is something, again, going back to our liberal priors, that I think that our liberal forefathers got wrong, is they believed that you could fully drive, drive a line between organizing organizing beliefs kind of these like theological ideas you could rule rationally i don't really think you can but point is i would make the argument that if you look at well what is sacred in the united states religion right like usg church i would mm-hmm. say things like one full and total social equality right you could say like there and you, and you see this right when it comes to certain programs about like uplifting you know women or certain minorities yeah know, sexual minorities, racial minorities that that should be oh. that should be done everywhere, okay. so
1: let me let me just uh, keep 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 your thought going, but let me just plug into that. it's not it's not necessary. I don't think it's actual state uh, uh, social equality. it's it's um it's jiggering with social equality. It's lifting and 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 suppressing it's it's messing around with equality. I mean, it it's using equality as the goal. To enact its power, to to say we're going to lift up these people and we're going to suppress these people. It's just it, it equality is just a again it's a cloak for it to to make friends and enemies to to punish and reward people. But it just it it's it just enables that connection between power and the population. It it's just it's another uh, field of possibility for power to enact itself. It's so it's not the value. It's not the value of equality. it's what equality allows the government to do.
0: Well, right, that's that's a fair that's a fair point. although I would say that there are there are cases in which the government's desire to kind of the desi- its desire to enforce principle harms its power, right? So for instance, you can make the argument of, of cases like Afghanistan, right? does if you are kind of this Machiavellian you know super statesman does does having girls schools in a conservative muslim country that that teach judith Butler feminism does that make it easier or harder for you to project power i would argue that makes it harder but if you view that as kind of a messianic or not a messianic like a missionary effort right like promoting a religion i would argue that that becomes a more rational decision that within that kind of that kind of framework. Do you see what I'm so you, getting
1: at? You're seeking converts, and and you're seeking to erode. You're seeking to erode the religion that you're uh, of the place you're occupying, and then install your own. Oh, well, I mean, I guess uh, with postmodernism specifically, its job isn't to install a religion; it's to corrode religions. But it's so it's useful to corrode religions. I don't see it as useful in building religions, but it's still
0: that's a, that's a sub point. But I get your point. Get my direction. So sorry. What I what I mean to say is that I think that there are decisions made where ideology trumps power, and to me, I think that's what twenty twenty proves to me. Hmm. That for instance, right, if you wanted to say, like, all right, like America is a a multiracial, multicultural society, right? you would assume that if you wanted to keep that society, you know, kind of like running well, you know, you wanted that that generator of economic wealth to keep going. Well, then you you'd kind of say like, all right, well, we don't want people at each other's throats. You know, we want to rule over a peaceful country. Actually, criminal justice is in fact a, a really great example for this, right? You would mm-hmm. expect that there ought to be kind of like safe streets. You know, if you're running a country, you're running a country well, but what we've seen is that essentially like there is, and maybe what happened, which I, I think we'll never know, is that essentially that like there's a there's a group of people who kind of have the tiger by the tail, you know that they used this tool to get into power, and now oh dear God we can't stop it, you know kind of like a sorcerer's apprentice type <laughs> mm-hmm. of situation. Mm-hmm. But I do think that what we're seeing is a case in which kind of like ideology is 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 rampant, you know it's it's runaway, mm-hmm. and I think that the the viewing this as a as a battle of you know, religions I think is a more useful way to to look at it. you know that this isn't a, a policy decision necessarily where you can say well like I've crunched the numbers, you know you would make plus three percent, you know good units a year. you know if you swapped my plan, it's basically these are this is a theological disagreement. And we're, we're arguing about deeply held almost non-rational positions you know where it's almost like this is good. And you see this all the time, right when when kind of like the ultra rationalists try to say like, uh well mm-hmm. if you i think of that that only fans girl turned philosopher, for riella, riella yeah. i don't know how to say her name Ailey. you know and she she fo- posted this thing which is like well okay like why is it wrong to sleep with a dead dog you know like well it can't feel pain you know it can't consent and it's like well okay like if you if you get to that level of abstraction like I don't know if I can necessarily give to you a you know a three point syllogism as to why it's wrong. Like maybe if you really wanted into it, you could get into, you know, you could get into you know epidemiology. Like you have you know extra chance to contract some brain eating virus. Point is, but I would argue that that is effectively like lizard brain. Disgust. No. Like that's just wrong. And I, I think that a lot of people, especially coming from this, you know, both have this, this liberal tradition. You know, that you and I are a part of, are kind of uncomfortable with just saying this is just wrong. Yes. Like, I don't have to tell you an argument. I don't have to rationalize. And I'm not saying abandon all reason. That's not my point. But the idea, and this is, you know, the idea that, you know, reason is, like to go back to the French Revolution, right? We can crown reason, use that to replace this kind of like non, you know, non-syllogistic system of views, right? Replacing, you know, tearing down the church and and putting up a, a harlot, you know, and calling her the goddess reason. You know, enshrining that as the central, like, I guess, like, guiding light of our civilization. That well, that doesn't work. I don't know if it ever worked. I don't know if we ever really did it. But certainly now, we're not really we're not really facing a. a and this goes back to that kind of like remaining ten percent of allowable discussion, right? That we're going to need to look at this at a much more fundamental level yep. than than policy, right? And this is why I think that I I'm not the biggest. You know, I'm not the biggest Tucker Carlson fan. I don't really watch his show, but the the speech that got him canceled, right? The speech that got him yanked from Fox News is a speech, which I believe he gave to Heritage, right? Where he essentially said, this is not a policy discussion anymore. This is kind of a, you know, a deeply, this is evil. Yeah. And I think that the thing that we have to be honest about is that both halves of this country, whether you want to say anti and pro woke or like whatever that defining, like, line is they don't view each other as political enemies. They don't view each other necessarily as, you know, like, Oh, it's my, 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 neighbors about this. Who vote, yeah. Yeah, my neighbors who vote for Al Gore, you know, or my neighbors who vote for Bush. Although you could probably say that it already started to set in then, but maybe HW Bush would be a better example. You know, that like, did anyone ever say like, I stopped talking to my family because they voted for Clinton. Like maybe if so, I haven't heard about it. Whereas now it really is. It seems like we are, you know, we have these two, we have these two you know, mutually exclusive religious systems fighting it out. And, uh, again, hmm. right. That's not something that I think that is easy to discuss within kind of a framework of, you know, liberal policy. And so my point is, I think that's part of the reason why you've seen, you know, a, a lot of people be kind of unable to, to classify what's going on you know unable to kind of make sense of you know the culture war or whatever you want to say it because it's not necessarily the same type of disagreements we were having you know 50 70 100 years ago you know these are two completely divergent cultures two completely ever divergent religions and so again right like i think it's it's mm-hmm. wise to say like all right we're in kind of territory we haven't been in in a while you know we're we're essentially at a at a religious conflict and like yeah well, well we need better tools to understand that and so that's why i think you know a lot of people have been picking their head up and kind of like examining you know well one what led us here and two like if we're fighting this religious war like one when did it start and two like why are we we fighting over Yeah. yeah yeah exactly what are we fighting over so I hope that kind of makes sense.
1: Footnote to go just back a little bit, because I want to say it out loud so I can uh, think about this further, but rationality inherently has no content. Rationality does not have any content. And so when people appeal to rationality, they're actually appealing to their values and then putting rationality on top of their values. Rationality, or even liberalism, classical liberalism, is a mode of communication. It doesn't say anything about what's being communicated. So the founding fathers... Had a bunch of assumptions, and you see that here and there in quotes, like this: We we built this system that is inherently to be run by moral people. This is this is this will only ever work. I think it was Adams or one of those guys said this would only work with people who who fear God and who who behave correctly. Like once once that is gone, like this can this the system of rationality can serve any any given uh, modus operandi. So you know we we need to peel back the, uh, well, we, we need to stop appealing to rationality as though it is something it is either a harlot or a saint, but rationality is just the mode of dress of it. Um, so I just want to well, say that. I feel
0: like a, a useful example in this, and I am a, I'm a Protestant Christian and it's become kind of fashionable on certain circles to basically say like, Oh, progressivism is, is merely a, a Protestant Christian heresy. And there's probably, let's be honest, some truth to that. Mm -hmm. But one of the the kind of core ideas baked into Luther was this idea of taking kind of a rational approach to faith, like, well, okay, what makes sense, you know, given this text? And I think that we can see the the limitations of, you know, of human reason in what happened with the Protestant Reformation, right? That this, this, this instantly fractured and it fractured, what's very interesting, along cultural lines. Right, that, that my faith tradition was essentially started by, you know, you, you could say like you know, middle class and upper middle class, you know, uh Scottish people, you know, where okay, there's the Church of England, and well, the Church of England was essentially the Protestant Reformation for you know upper class, kind of like blue-blood Brits. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see that kind of like all over the place. And what you see in that is each one of those those groups is so firmly convinced of their own complete and total rationality that I hate to say it, you know, it's very much kind of this, like maybe that there is a factor that I think we have to agree that culture plays a massive, yeah. a massive role in what we think is, is, is reasonable. And I think you've seen this. If you've ever talked to someone older about young people, right. And there's a common refrain that like, why don't they have any common sense? And it's especially funny from people who are Kind of alienated from their own parents, you know, people who viewed their own parents as being kind of like stick in the mud, you know, like kind of out of their own era. And you you see this, and I I notice this, right? Because my my parents are very very classical Gen X, right, core Gen X. My grandparents are classic baby boomers, and my my parents will often say of people my age, like, oh, they just don't have any common sense. And I'll ask them, kind of generally, well, like okay, like, what do you think about your parents? They're like, oh, they're just so backwards. They're so, you know, mm-hmm. they're so completely like swept up in this to them, largely mm-hmm. a logical system of values. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things to which, like, I think that the idea of neutral, impartial reason is, is a myth that we have to kind of get away from. And that's actually maybe a good way to kind of, you know, package this last like 10, 20 minutes of conversation is the idea that neutrality is sort of a myth. You know, that the idea that you can have a a system impartial to value, whether it be rationality, whether it be government yes, is a lie. You know, that the, there is a, there is someone, there is a system of values driving and effectively, I, I would argue that we're, we're fighting over which system of values is, is at the wheel, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You see this a lot, um, in, in the discussion right now between the right and and the uh, what, what's the like the lightning rod? um James Lindsay. James Lindsay's mm-hmm. going after Christian nationalism uh, right now, and he's 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 form, he's formulated um I think convincingly, I don't know if I completely subscribed uh, ascribe to it, but it, it is pretty convincing. um he's he's proposing that this summer, the dialectic is going to be between uh, lgbtq plus. What Blair White called the uh, Wi-Fi password <laughs> religion or whatever, <laughs> and um, and then Christian nationalism and what what power is going to do or for incentive purposes we'll just call it power. What power is going to do is pit the uh, rainbow people against the Christian nationalists, and the Christian nationalists are going to lose because um, homophobia is it's it's already a losing position. Like the ratchet has already gone uh, to past so far past gay marriage that there's no bringing that back um or with Yarvin and I'm kind of re um regurgitating a thread by uh, Yoram Hazoni uh who's critiquing James Lindsay um Oh shoot! I just lost the thread. Yeah, Yarvin last year uh, wrote an article about the hobbits and the dark elves and the light elves, and that the hobbits, being the Christian nationalists, being just the the maybe the centrist, the grill happy, um, you know, reasonably Second Amendment happy, um, you know, reasonably liberal people, uh, they're hobbits and they need to just let power do its thing and not get in the way of power because they're only ever going to lose. The Christians are only ever going to lose because they lost on a cultural level already. They're cringe. And and they're even for some reason, that pride, that progress pride flag, is somehow less cringe than the Christian national flag. But when, when, and so I'm I'm bringing that up because you're you're talking about if we are in a war of religion, I don't think I I do think that power has consolidated itself around that progress flag, right? With the with the LGBT and and the whatever those rainbow colors mean, and then whatever those racial uh, things mean. It's it's basically the intersectional cheese-gratering of human beings into all these different identity categories. That is that is the consolidation of power. It's super cringe. It doesn't really work. And if you look at, our, uh, at the rulers, the actual rulers, or the, at least the stewards of power, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, et cetera, et cetera, they all are incredibly inept, and it's impossible not to see them as inept. It's impossible not to see this thing as entirely cringe. But if you go and you say, well, what's the alternative, what's the other religion? The biggest religion right now or like the most consolidatory thing right now would be some sort of Christian nationalism, but that doesn't quite work. Like nobody I I wouldn't want to live in a I would like to live in a Christian nation, but the Christian nation has to be properly construed as just being honest about our core values and just being honest about those values being derived from Christianity. Now we can we can jigger around with how those values are communicated, what language those values are packaged in with God and Christ and the resurrection and all that stuff. Those, those, There's wiggle room for the symbolism for me. But if we just admitted that, you know, the Christian value system is what, caused us to work as well as we did. So let's just be honest about that and then strain that of both the symbolism from the right and the symbolism from the left. Maybe and maybe this is a pipe dream, maybe this is my classical liberalism coming through that if you do strip the symbolism out of it you don't have the same thing. You cannot communicate Christian values without a Christian God. Maybe that's true. And that's what I've been arguing earlier this week with the atheist because like, he wants all those Christian values without the Christian aesthetics. And I'm like, well, can you actually do that? Can you actually do that? So, um, so I bring that up to question from your point of view: Is there an alternative religion? What is that alternative religion to the state religion? The state religion being intersectional, pride stuff, rainbow stuff. Well,
0: this may surprise you. I actually, I actually find myself largely in agreement with you. I'm I'm not a Christian nationalist in the most narrow sense, right? If you say, if you define Christian nationalism as, you know, Stephen Wolf, the people that agree with him, fine, I hope they win. I don't think they will for any number of reasons. Uh, If that's your definition, I'm not. If you mean, should Christians uh, count their Christian values as a contributing factor as to why they vote? Of course, I believe that, but it's defined by a million different people. I'm actually talking soon to, uh, to John Harris, right of conversations that matter. Who's a a guy in that sphere who I find you know quite interesting, but sorry. Point being, uh, so that that's not my it's not my crowd, and I actually I think that this is part of the problem that we find ourselves in is that there really is no unified counter narrative. Yeah, there's no unifying aesthetic, and this is something that Rod Dreher, who I consider currently to be uh, a man truly cringe is not a good enough word for him but he was actually right about this in the benedict option. Where he basically said look like conservative religious people in America have to kind of wake up and realize like you are not God. in a culturally privileged position anymore. You are a minority. So you kind of have to start playing hardball and act like it, which I I think is true. I also think that what we've seen in evangelical circles, which I am connected to, if not a member of, you know, I know enough about it is that essentially one, there's already been a large amount of peace made with the state religion, you know, that a lot of people have compromised, you know, for instance, right. The the Southern Baptist convention right now is being rocked by a series of essentially like extremely pro woke uh, positions and ordinances. And you would assume, right? Like, Oh, Southern Baptists are incredibly conservative. And that's true. You know, a lot of churches are moving away from the organization, but you have this problem, and which with conservative, you know, religious America that they have no leaders, they have no leadership class. It's all hobbits, you know. And and again, I don't necessarily love that Yarvin article, but he has a point, right? That yeah, there is no necessarily real conservative Christian intellectual elite. You know, the best the best people you have, and I don't mean best as in like. I like them the most, but the closest to power would be like, okay, you've got people like David French, who, is he realistically a conservative Christian American? Like, I know he says he is, but he's essentially a Democrat, right? Then you have, you know, like the bet, I guess you could also say, well, someone like Jordan Peterson, he's not necessarily explicitly Christian, but he kind of, you know, could kind of be construed as like a, you know, a Christian elite. It's like, well, he's he's nowhere close to power. Like he has influence, but like, you know, he's not getting flown into the white house. And Mm. so my, what I, what I see there is that, I don't think there's a unified position that people can you know, kind of hold to, to, you know, to kind of oppose this force. And really what I see is that the state religion is, is, is not sustainable, right? That the, the precepts of this religion are the very things that are kind of eroding its power. And so I don't necessarily like take any joy from looking at the system in which I live in and say like, well, it's not being driven well. You know, it's not necessarily looking healthy, but I think that one of the things is that, you know, no one, there's not necessarily like a, a new religion waiting in the wings. You know, it's not like this is first century Rome and like, okay, no one really believes paganism anymore. And there's Christianity waiting in the wings. Like if there's something coming, I don't see it. You know, some people have said like maybe something like Duganism. I'm not necessarily super convinced by that but I don't necessarily have an answer on that. I, I disagree with Lindsay's take that this summer will be the, the trans V Christian nationalism, uh, you know, kind of rumble to me. I actually think that the there's been, there's been sort of a signaling that the trans stuff is, is kind of being put back in the box for the moment being. Uh, hmm. And I don't necessarily think that it's all going away. I just, I, I, I'm getting the feeling that that part of the culture war is, has gotten too hot, you know, and we'll kind of see a a focus shift away from that similar to how we saw a shift away from as explicit racial politics after the summer of Floyd, right. Where it's still in the, it's still in the news, but I feel like there was very much a tone shift from racial politics to gender politics. Yes. I could be wrong in that. I also think that the, the other problem with, with Lindsay is that, uh, lindsay is an out and about he's he's an out and out atheist you know and so i think that that colors his his perception of things and going back to what i said about how a lot of evangelicals have already compromised a lot of people have already compromised right and and those those denominations those groups that that compromise even if they don't die out now they die off hard after a generation i, I was speaking to a, a catholic you know in my you know, in my community. And he basically described what happened to the, to the Catholic church, right? Where in the sixties, there was this kind of like wave of liberation theology, where they were kind of like half Catholic, half Marxist, you know, and kind of a a cluster around that. And so what the problem is, is that the, those priests, right. Or now baby boomers to silent generation are dying off and the people who followed them in an ideological sense, they didn't stay being kind of like 1960s, half Marxist, half Catholics. They went full Marxist. Yeah, you they can't... left. They stopped being Christian. And so that's what tends to happen in these organizations like mainline Protestant Christianity in America, right? That they, they, they compromised on social issues a long time ago. Uh, the the hmm. Presbyterian Church, right, is a great example. They compromised on gay marriage in the mid-2000s. They started ordaining gay ministers. And what happened is they're they're dying because again right that 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 mechanism where their their ideological you know successors they just keep going and so what i think will happen is that probably conservative christians will just become a sizable minority but i don't think that minority is necessarily going anywhere because there comes yeah. a certain point at which it's like well if you didn't compromise on that and you're probably not compromising on anything. And I'm not necessarily going to say, I think it's going to be 50% or 20% or 10% even of current capacity. But I do think there will be a, a certain percentage of hardliners that just never go away. Yeah. You know, I think that you've seen that in, in any religious community, that there are some people who are just, you know, kind of like sticking it out. But I do think that, you know what, even in the South, right? I live in the South. I love it here, but yeah. cultural Christianity is on its way out, you know, and the, you even see this in kind of the, in the, you know, the campaign of Donald Trump, right. That obviously like he kind of plays lip service to kind of Bible belt America. Right. But Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, let's be honest, right. No no one really, no one really believes he cares. You know, he's a, he's a New York billionaire, you know, he's had what, like six or seven divorces, you know, it's very obvious that that's not necessarily where even the second string American political party is anywhere interested in. You know, it's still, a, it's a minority. It's going to be a significant minority in America, you know, even as demographics change. But to me, I, I, I think that Christian nationalism, much like the moral majority, I view is kind of a flash in the pan. Uh, I wish I was wrong. You know, I, I like for them to win, but I don't see it happening. It doesn't, it just doesn't have the aesthetic. Uh,
1: it just does. I mean, and, and without the aesthetic, it doesn't have power. Um,
0: well, I think without, without an elite class, there's no power. You know, when you look at the people doing this, right, like you have some upper middle class people, maybe, you know, but like, are there Christian nationalists at Harvard? You know, are there Christian nationalists at the state department? I, I, I don't see so, you know, and to me, right. I just don't, I am, I don't believe that you can take, you know, an on the ground movement, especially a minority on the ground movement with no upper level support and turn that into anything, especially when the support among most people is relatively tepid you know, it's not like there's a Baptist Taliban out there who's willing to, you know, <laughs> w- yeah, like walk into downtown DC and blow themselves up. Right. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying this putatively, right. Like these are my people, but to me, it, it's, uh, to me, I view it as kind of, you know, tilting at windmills and I don't mean to take away their, their wins. Right. Like obviously the, the, the Budweiser thing is something, but mm. I think that going from Budweiser stock went down an appreciable amount to now there's, you know, the, the, now we're in the handmaid's tale, you know, uh, you know, Stephen Wolf, you know, eternal Fuhrer of America. Like I, I just don't see that coming, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm speaking hyperbolically, but you get my point. Yeah, yeah. So uh,
1: to kind of downscale, if you want, and, and, and adjust your answer to your comfortableness of this, You you mentioned, or you've mentioned that you have a family, you want to start a family, maybe you have kids, maybe you want to start kids. And once you have that skin in the game, it kind of changes the landscape because you have to more or less intentionally understand that you're you want to create a human being. like you have a you have an oversized influence on your children for a very narrow uh, point of time. you You look at the culture, you look at power, you look at the landscape, and you have to kind of see your values that you want to instill, but you also have to instill the tools into the kid to adjust their values to their environment, right? So there has to be, you have to build in compromise to the kid, right? So that they can get ahead in life, so that they can flourish, they can be successful. So I'm wondering, um, like, what kind of man do you believe in? Uh, what what kind of human being um do you want to see in the world? Do you want to be in the world that you think um despite the political, but with the political in mind, that that that's
0: possible right now? A very broad question. No, Go no, this course. is actually to me to me, really what I view as kind of the most important thing that I do on the internet, right? Because it's part of the reason that I think it's really funny that I've had people in my personal life like absolutely lose their minds about, you know, my online political work is because to be honest, like I'm really a quietist Like I don't, I don't vote. I don't go to protests. You know, I think that you, all your listeners should not go to protests, you know, especially if you're protesting anything that's actually like unpopular. Right. But what I do believe is essentially that like the, the ideas being promoted at kind of a national level at a, a, you know, a citywide level are not Good, and there's only so many bad decisions you can make before they st- start to catch up to you. Yeah. And I think that in America we have an astounding amount of capital to burn through before things go bad. right like yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that you know, like you know, it, it's Mad Max is around the corner. But what I am saying, right, is that when you have made a series of essentially short-term bias decisions, right, like I can get more power now at the cost of some consequence in the future, right? Eventually, those notes come due. And so I think that we're already kind of seeing that happen, right? With more and more countries saying like, hey, I, I I feel a little bit shaky about you know signing on to the US dollar, like I'm looking for alternatives. And that's, I think, a broader symptom. And so you're like, all right, well, okay. I look at, you know, and I've, I've said this, you know, like even to you, right, that I, I want to, you know, kind of like start a family, right? That's something I've been working to. Well, how, how do you do that deliberately if you truly are convinced that, you know, the things might be... Ending not even ending that the world is just going to get worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't even see that as unprecedented. Like there's been a major economic depression twice within the last hundred years. Like we could have another one, not necessarily like eating corpses in the street, you know, but like things can get kind of unpleasant. And so in doing that, right. It's like, okay, well, like what is within my, my sphere of control? What can I do? And to me, the thing that I've been prioritizing, and a lot of you know my friends have been prioritizing, essentially taking online relationships and turning them into real relationships. Okay, you know, taking this this truth, right, this this thread that we're pulling at, and saying like, okay, well, it's all fine and dandy, you know, that democracy is a lie or whatever, you know, like, well, why does that matter to me, right? And, and so, to me, right, when I when I look at like, where are the exciting things? It's it's building these kind of intentional communities, you know, resisting the atomizing pull of the internet of modernity and realizing, right. That you were going to have to make sacrifices. So you, you bring up, right. Raising your kids to compromise with modernity. And there, obviously there's a certain amount of that, which has to be done. You know, if you, if you raise up your kid, you know, and, and essentially only allow them to like churn, you know, raw milk into butter, right. They're going to have a hell of a time trying to get through high school. But if you say like, all right, like these are my values, this is what I want to do. If you truly believe that, right, to, to paraphrase Jordan Peterson, if you truly believe that God is real, will that act like it? So I'll use my own life for example, right? I I went to XYZ big city to make XYZ money at XYZ corporation, right? Okay. Big city, big job. But, but that's, an atomized, that's an atomized position, right? You have no community. You're separated from the people you love. No one around me agreed with me. And it's like, all right, well, if I truly believe that you know, these transcendental human values are more important than me making extra money, you know, or me being a little bit more comfortable living in the kind of place that I aspired to kind of getting climbing up higher on the social ladder than my parents or my grandparents did. I might have to sacrifice that. And I think that the promise, you know, kind of like the implicit cultural promise that you can always do better and better and better than the people before you, that was viewed as an eternal trend. You know, mm-hmm. like something you could just do for 10,000 years, you know, it'll mm-hmm. just keep going and going, everything will get better. Yeah. And I think that we have to kind of examine that really honestly and say like, okay, well, if that's not a possibility, right. If I'm either going to stagnate. And I think a lot of us have seen that when it comes to the wealth of you know previous generations, right. Like, well, then we're going to have to start, we're going to have to start one making cuts and two yeah. preparing for helping our kids out more than we were helped out, Yeah. you know, yeah. because well, the, the kind of like rising tide left that raised everyone, well, that either seems to be petering out or it already has. And so that's a long winded way to say that essentially like what I, what I plan to do and what I have been doing, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people in my community, you know, uh, through this podcast, you know, I've, I've met a lot of other you know creators and have kind of, you know, built things with them it's to basically say like, all right, like the internet is a tool. The internet is not an end you know, that we're not essentially going to win the internet, you know, get, get, you know, X plus one number of subscribers, you know, get a gold plaque on the wall. That's not the point. The point is essentially to say like, all right, like we're a minority. Not a lot of people think like you think, or think like I think, and how are you going to take this kind of like diaspora of people who agree with me and say like, all right, well, like, how do we turn that into something real and physical, you know, where we can actually make a real community where I I don't have to worry about the fact that, you know, my, my kids would be raised to hate me because let's be honest, right? Like the, that's a distinct possibility if you don't play the game deliberately. And I think that that's something else that, you know, needs to be done, right. Is that the the kind of like well-traveled path of just go along to get along, you know, just like let society, you know, run its course, I'll follow it. I think is, is no longer really a responsible play. You know, it's not a good option anymore. And so if you're playing the game deliberately, right, this goes back to that idea of examining every premise, right? You're like, okay, well, like I can no longer afford to outsource my opinions on certain things. I can no longer afford to outsource everything. I'm going to have to do some things myself. I'm going to have to make sacrifices. And so I guess that's the direction that I've kind of gone in. And a lot of people I consider my friends and, you know, people I consider influences of mine have kind of been going in that same direction you know, of taking this kind of like idea space, you know, this, this disembodied, you know, internet community and, and, and turning it into something, you know, real and physical that you can touch that you can say like, Oh, I know Harvey Wallbanger, you know, I know X, Y, Z, he's my friend. I can call on him, Mm -hmm. you know, and I can trust him because we have ideas in, in common, you know, he's part of my religion, you know, in, in that case, literally. So anyway, that, that's kind of the direction that I've, I've been going in. And it's part of the reason, right? That look like I love doing this. I enjoy talking to people on the internet, but I don't do it to talk to more people on the internet, right? I do it because if you believe, right, that there's a correlation between, you know, your, your alignment to the truth, right? How true your guiding principles are and how, you know, your life turns out, right? then this is a serious business. You know, like I, I if you believe, right. That if you think that, you know, men and women are interchangeable, you know, that like ultimate leveling of all, you know, human structures is the end goal. Like, if you believe that you act on that, that's going to radically shape your life. I would argue negatively. Hmm. And and so essentially, I guess that's the project, right. Of, of discerning truth. And then on the Hmm. other end, like, you know, turning that into something concrete and real. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Does it not? Does it not answer your question?
1: (laughs) What, so speaking tangibly, um, I've been told by uh, I'll, I'll call her a close friend um, that I need to write a book. She's like, "You have to write a book. Like, like you, you know, you've been doing this for six years. That's the next step. You need to write a book, and then you can promote the book, and then you can be somebody. You need to like, you, you know, you need to become more substantial. You need to become more real." And and I agree with her. You know, so I'm trying to think. Well, what what's the book? What 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 is the book? So I'm kind of like trying to think about what I would have to. Um, give to other people that would be useful, entertaining, and would, you know, reflect back on me that I, you know, it would just increase my value in the world. Um, so I'm wondering this, this internet thing, podcasting, it, it's the beginning of something. It's, it's a, it's a gateway to something else. Do you perceive yourself becoming someone? Um, and who do you, who do you see? Do you see the outline of who you're going to become as, as a figure Right. And, and I don't mean just like in an influencer cheap way, but like in a real substantial way, like, like you become, you're becoming a man. Like, how old are you? You're in your twenties or thirties. I turn, uh, I turn 24 tomorrow. Jesus Christ. You're so young. Um, so I guess like there's the horizon, like you have 20 years Forty years, sixty years to 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 go along that developmental arc. So I'm wondering, do you feel that the ideas that you're engaging with are going to be are concretizing in some way? You say doing something real. I'm like, do you want to write a book? Do you do you have the beginnings of a philosophy, the beginnings of a uh, like a, like an articulation of the wisdom, or or the word that that animates you that that you want to put forth? Do you have the beginnings of that, the shape of that?
0: So, yeah, this is, this is actually, and you brought up, you know, at the very beginning of this interview that you kind of periodically, you know, yearly, you know, uh, re-examine, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. And, and I have kind of a similar thing. I've, I've been on the internet for, you know, much less time than you are, but every couple of weeks kind of have this think like this, this thought, right. Which is like, what, why am I doing this? And to me, right. I, I am, I realize I am young and it's part of the reason that I'm, I'm hesitant to give out you know, definitive advice. Cause it's like, well, why, why the hell should you listen to me? I don't know what I'm yeah. doing, which is true, yeah. but there's something that I, I feel that I am sort of a a conduit for ideas bigger than me. You know, that when I, when I'm, I'm saying something, you know, I'm, I, I am, I'm not speaking with my own voice. I'm kind of channeling these ideas from, you know, this rich, this, you know, this rich tapestry, this rich, you know, kind of like tradition of, of thought. And so in one way, it's like, well, I, I, you could say like, well, how do you want to die? You know, is, is a very good way to say like, well, what kind of man do you want to become? And to me, right. I think that, you know, Aristotle answered this pretty well, right. Nicomachean ethics, you know, the book he wrote, you know, allegedly right for his son, where he basically says like, well, what is a good death? You know, and he says like a good death is to be, you know, on your estate, you know, surrounded by your family dying peacefully. And okay. There's, there's some things to unpack about that. Cause you can say like, well, that's, you know, there's that crystallized moment, but what does that mean? Well, you have an estate, You have a family, you have a community that cares about you. That means one, you know, you have invested, you've created something that outlasts you, you know, something that you can use to build for your family to, you know, provide for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that might be a a good way to look at it. You know, I'm nowhere near, you know, the point in my life where I want to write a book for any number of reasons, but Mm -hmm. the reason you write a book and the reason you make an estate or kind of, or you create an estate are kind of similar right much like the king we were talking about earlier when it came to politics right that there is a there is an obligation you have to the future you know that you aren't just you you know that the purpose of your life is not merely to maximize your own personal enjoyment you know the amount of you know serotonin that floods your lizard brain you have a you have a duty right there's a chain before you and after you and, and maybe that that idea of a tapestry is a useful one because i think that and people like Peterson were very good at pointing this out that, you know, very much what we're suffering right now is a crisis of a crisis of meaning. You know, that people are like, well, why do I exist? You know, we live in societies where it's very difficult to answer the question, why does this society exist? And I think that if you're like, all right, well, we want to recapture that, you know, we we want to recapture that, that, that ability to answer the question, why am I here? And I think that again, and I'll I'll go back to Peterson because he's impactful to me and and many others. Right. The 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 answer to that is well, give yourself to something. You know, create obligations for yourself. And okay, then we look at what what historically has has fulfilled that niche. You know, what historically have men, greater men than me, given themselves over to? Right. And you find that okay, there's this there's just this kind of hierarchy. You know, these these fealties you owe to adopt kind of a, you know, a feudal stance, right. On the top, right. You, you owe your responsibilities to your creator, to God, you know, a sub in, you know, whichever, you know, religion of your own choice. Right. And then below that, right. You have your, your obligations to authority. You have your obligations to, Mm -hmm. you know, your family and within that, right. That same pattern of this chain, you know, to, to adopt a, a common phrase, you know, the chain of, of being right is, is to kind of give yourself back that that purpose. And so I feel incredibly lucky because I am not a particularly talented, you know, writer. I'm not, you know, a particularly original thinker when it comes to these. I'm essentially just remixing the thoughts of others. But I have meaning. I know what I'm supposed to do. Hmm. You know, and that doesn't necessarily mean on like a moment-to-moment, like, well, okay, like what should I do in the next hour? Hmm. But I have a, a confident vision of like, well, what is a good man? You know, it's the Aristotelian vision. It's this vision that we see throughout, you know, kind of like the Western canon of good men. And it's like, okay, well, I want to be that. I don't necessarily know how on a moment to moment basis, but I feel like we can do it. And it's part of the reason that I'm interested in discussing these ideas, right? Is it's like, okay, well, what is it to be a good man? What is it to live a good life? And obviously it's fun to talk politics because you're kind of figuring out the system in which you live. Yeah. You know, you're, you're mapping the confines of the pool that you're swimming in. But within that, it, what really is up to you is like, well, how can you operate within those constraints? You know, and so it's like, okay, well, going back to the idea of the estate, it's like, okay, I think that a lot of us feel like our predecessors didn't leave us with much. You know, we feel like the, the institutions were allowed to die. You know, the, the, a lot of social capital was burnt up, you know, and, and you see this, especially in the European context with pensions very directly, right? The societies are being choked out by old people who are just like cramming or like squeezing every little bit of blood they can from the stone, impoverishing their children. And we see that as wrong. But we gotta understand that there is an obligation you owe both directions. And while that that the other end of the bargain hasn't been held up, it's like, well, what makes it better? You saying, well, fine, if that's not being held up, then I'm not going to do it either. Or saying, like, all right, the chain's been broken. You know, it's kind of dangling. And like, all right, it might not be the best link. It might be a little bit, you know, wonky, it might be a little bit half-assed, but at least there's another link in the chain. And to me, I guess that kind of like crisis for meaning is solved by, you know, resuming the work on the chain, you know, resuming your place in the tapestry. And certainly, right, I'm not going to deny it's not necessarily the sexiest thing. It's not the most fun. You know, I've, as someone who's recently married, I, I am feeling the constraints of tying yourself into something bigger than yourself. But that's good. You know, you, you need that you need restraint, not you personally, obviously, but you need to be obligated because otherwise, right. You're at the end of your life and far from being, you know, the, the rich man on his estate surrounded by children, you know, kind of a pillar of your community dying as you know, we all do, right. You're the, you know, you're the the baby boomer, right. Who never had kids who had a ton of fun in the seventies. And I've met this guy. I met Mark, one of my old friends, you know, and he died 73 and there were three people with him. One of them was a guy who used to work for him. The other one was the guy who drove the tow truck that he knew and a doctor. That's it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, he probably had more dopamine in his life than I did. You know, he would tell me these wild stories about parties he went to, celebrities he hung out with. He was a very wealthy man but i mean how long does that last for right like if you're the 60 year old man and you're still trying to live it up you know you're at the club trying to pick up you know 25 year old sorority or 25 year old you know recent college grads right it's yeah. like is that a life you want to live and so my point in this is not just to moralize my point in this is to say like well the reason we're talking about these ideas is because they matter you know and they matter on an interpersonal level and so if there is to be meaning found in life right It isn't to be found in that kind of like indexing yourself to these, these higher ideas. So that's, that's sort of where I've, I've, I've found myself. Yeah. Yeah. In, in
1: your explorations of the, uh, of the sphere that you're in, and I, I just like, Left and right doesn't really make sense so much as there's left and not left, more or less. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's people heading in the direction of the left and uh progress and, and the government and power and st- And then there's people who are more or less resisting that or like, you know, then they get further and further away from that. But um so you're kind of mapping the discourse, like a realm of discourse. What are like the biggest distractions in your sphere and in, in the right? Um what are the biggest hang ups or or the the ways that they're shooting themselves in the foot or, or getting distracted in one way or another or something that you just d- dislike you know that you're like eh, that's dumb you know and it's, i don't want you to call out anybody by name or get yourself in trouble i'm just interested in in seeing like how you're editing that or how you want to resist and, and purify that of, of certain things that you think are inefficient distractions no
0: definitely on. so one of the most one of the most common things right is, is that any like political subcultures infamous for infighting. Right. And there's a lot of infighting on the right that I view as largely a complete and total waste of time.
1: So what is We're it, what, what, what is it like the, that infighting? Where does it arise? What, what, what tensions does so, that bring to light?
0: So some of it, right. Which is that there is, there's energy in the E right sphere, right? A good example of this is, is NatCon in the UK. Right, where you have high-ranking officials in the British government talking next to people like Alex Kashuda, right, which is kind of an odd thing, but there is energy in this sphere. You know, is a great example, right? She's done quite well for herself. She you know gets a large amount of viewership, and with that, we'll just use to like an internet term. With clout comes something to compete for, right? When it's a couple guys on an internet forum, right? There's no there's no real incentive to like start stupid drama because it doesn't matter. You know, you're, you're talking to an audience of 12. Obviously there's always interpersonal fighting, but there is in any internet community, there is an incentive to causing a fight, right? Cause it draws eyes to you. And mm-hmm. so the distributist, uh, you know, a friend of mine calls a lot of these people essentially like internet psychos, you know, people who essentially just cause cause drama to, to promote themselves you know and obviously you can probably think of any number of people who do that. So that's a part of it and I would argue that's kind of endemic to the internet in general. it's not specific so that's it's one human part nature of it. yeah another one is this kind of deep deep fissure that runs through the right and this is goes back for arguably the whole 20th century between what we can broadly describe as the Christian right who has a Christian system of values even if they're not explicitly Christian and the Nietzscheans. Right, the people who basically believe like, oh, might is right. Uh, you know, there is something part of what we are facing, part of the problems with, you know, modern philosophy, modern system of values, is that it is derived from Christianity, right? And that is a, I would argue, that is a, that is a bridge that can never be crossed. You know, there's fundamental disagreement. But what I will say hmm. is that there's the kind of continual sniping back and forth. So So, the best example, right, is that uh, recently, and'm I'm only referencing this because it's the example that springs out to me. this is a this is an argument that effectively pops up roughly every three months, and it's a colossal waste of time. And so you'll notice I never participate in it because it's a colossal waste of time. But roughly six months ago, Matt Walsh, right, a conservative Catholic who works for the Daily Wire, <laughs> made some comment about the fact that all a man ever wants is to come home and be, you know, welcomed by his kid. You know, the very classic Norman Rockwell.
1: Yeah, his and, wife's got his food on the table and takes off his shoes and gives him a pipe or whatever. Yeah.
0: And obviously, okay, that that sounds pleasant, but is that really like all you can hope for? Like, yeah. I, I, I'll be honest, like I I like family life. I've spoken very positively of it, but like. Okay, come on! Like that's not everything you could hope for, you know. The idea that that's the whole end of civilization, I would argue, is kind of limited. And you get just inundated with people like dunking on him, making fun of him, you know, basically saying like, "Oh, you are, you know, a slave to women." You know, posting pictures of the woman of Wollendorf, right? This fat fertility goddess. Like, oh, you're just bowing down to that. And obviously, some of that's funny, right? Because that is, let's be honest, it's a little bit pathetic. It's a little bit, you know, kind of like overly harping on it, but this then becomes you know weeks long feud about like oh if you want a family you know you're you're weak you're settling for something lesser you should be and again i've read nietzsche i'm not a nietzschean i'm not trying to to denigrate this position but there is this uh, occupied by certain people that essentially like the true masculine way to you know be as a man is to you know conquer lots of women be you know this kind of like uh, like like i am for myself i have transcended kind of your your lesser bourgeois bourgeoisie values of yeah yeah you know x y and z and i don't agree with that right and I, don't. it becomes
1: wrong, really really gay the further uh the further yes, they've been that horseshoe too uh, like super masculine and then you're like
0: okay well that's that's there's a reason that homo is very much a real thing uh <laughs> For those over this wondering about the internet etymology of that, uh, it's homosexual fascists, right? They do exist, but my point is, right? That is a bridge that cannot be crossed on a certain level, right? That even people like Jonathan Bowden, who, while he's dead, I owe a great deal amount to when it comes to you know his personal philosophy. He was a, he was an avowed pagan. He basically viewed that the pagan values of, you know, in his case, I believe, like ancient Britain or ancient Rome, are superior to Christian values. It, it, people like the the French new right, you know, of, of kind of the 70s, 60s and 70s are another kind of group associated with that. Mm-hmm. And so my that is something that can never be bridged really. That is a that is an ideological fissure. I'm not necessarily saying everyone paper over that and pretend it's not there, but this kind of like recycled dialogue, because that specific example I said about Matt Walsh, that has been repeated probably three dozen times, just over and over and over again. We're just okay. doing it essentially ad nauseum because it drives internet engagement. You know, it's a good way to get, you know, 5,000 extra Twitter followers or to get a certain like amount of of clout. And so that goes back to, you know, why are you on the internet? And I believe that there is a certain number of people, internet psychos included, who are essentially on the internet and on the right because it's fun, you know, because it's a good way to activate, you know, that kind of lizard brain. And don't get me wrong, like I wouldn't do this if I didn't enjoy it. You know, it's not a, if you, if you actually like average out what I make from each video versus how much work that goes into it, it's not worth it. You know, I should just be flipping burgers, but you know, I'm not going to deny that I enjoy it, but that said, like it is by virtue of being on the internet, kind of poisoned by the incentives of being on the internet, right. Which is to grow your audience, to, you know, increase the amount of eyes on you. And I think that that's something that is kind of on one level poisoning, poisoning the, the discourse, if you if you see what I'm getting at,
1: yeah, fair. that's what I'm I'm kind of thinking. That's what the book I kind of want to write is um, about how to be a human being and use the internet and not have the internet use you um, to kind of understand um, what it is to really kind of understand what it is and and to carve out like a a, a moral uh, vector to it. Um, if that's the right phrase anyway so that's just what i'm thinking about um because that's what i've been dealing with in the last six years so
0: I, that would be a very interesting like i'll put it this way i'd read that book you know because it's <laughs> something that i think that everyone who interacts with the internet who makes you know content kind of has to deal with you know especially if a certain amount of your online content is especially like go touch grass you know <laughs> I realize there's some irony when you are, when you are saying that via an anonymous internet podcast, you know, so it's a tension that I feel.
1: So no books coming out. Um, We have this podcast. What could you describe to my audience? um, Like, like your schedule and like what, what you've been doing and where you think you're headed with this?
0: Yeah, sure. So I am somewhat unused to being interviewed. Right, I, I hold a an hour long interview show roughly every Monday night at uh, eight p.m. Eastern, and I talk with you know interesting people normally on the right, right? Because that's, that's who my friends are. Mm-hmm. You know, I have spoken to to people like academic agent to Charles Haywood, you know, figures like that in what I consider kind of like the post liberal right uh, the questions that I kind of strive to, you know, address are basically like, well, how one, you know, what is the, what is the system in which we find ourselves? How did we get here? And then also like, well, how, how ought to, you know, how ought we to act? Mm. And so when it comes up to my, you know, my schedule coming up, I I've, I've said that I've, I will have, you know, uh, John Harris, the guy at conversations that matter, he's going to be appearing on my podcast. I have, you know, the the internet figure Thomas seven, 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 he and I are quite good friends. You know, he, Mm appears on my podcast
1: what's his deal he's
0: kind Uh, of spooky he's an interesting guy uh i won't speak for thomas okay thomas is a a you guys are friends so i don't expect you to he's a he's a historian he's a science fiction author and he's an incredibly original thinker i've never met anyone like thomas uh, I like Thomas enough. I, I look, I invited him to my wedding, you know, he's a true friend oh. of mine. I'm literally, I'm looking at when I have a very few things on my desk. One of them is a, is a note from Thomas, right? He's a, he's a true right. friend of mine. Uh, point is, you know, he's a, a wide variety of, you know, eccentric and eclectic thinkers. Yeah. Uh, my format is simple. It, I am not the person to come up with it. It's an hour long casual interview show. Imagine exactly 20 to 30% of what this interview was. That's what my show is, you know, mm-hmm. about that, about that length. And uh, yeah, I, I really, I really have enjoyed it. And when I see like, what questions am I looking at upcoming, the kind of two big issues that I, I'm tackling are one. And I realize this is a little bit, a little bit controversial as I'm going through kind of a, a, a honest look at, slavery as kind of an international institution you know like what was slavery globally and then also kind of directly like what was slavery like in the us uh again i have two people coming on to talk about that both are you know experts i'm also got a few people from kind of the more directly christian nationalist sphere that i'm in talks with because those are two one obviously historical one more uh practical you know issues that i'm interested in right kind of Mm -hmm. pulling pulling more strings and seeing where they lead and uh so yeah that's that's you know where I am. That's what I've been doing, and uh, yeah, thank you very much. Mm. Oh, yeah, thank
1: you very much for joining me. One last question, just because I like to throw out What What do you do that's not related to the internet that just gives you a lot of joy? Like, what What's your cool little dorkiest hobby, if you don't mind sharing that?
0: Oh, this is this is so. I, I several things, which is one. I I I truly love reading. know i read as much as i can not just you know things related to politics although i'll admit that that you know takes a lot of my time uh and then the other person is i'm an inveterate project starter you know so i i've said before i love you know working on cars and doing just like any any number of you know assembling and disassembling different items it's Mm -hmm. it's something that i take a lot of solace and you know it's nice to have something to just completely devote yourself to that requires no thought because uh it's, it's sometimes hard to get your brain to turn off. And I'm sure you've had this experience where, you know, you've read so much, you've listened so much that you feel like you almost have no space left for your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to kind of like forcefully, you know, reset and kind of devote Mm -hmm. yourself to a repetitive manual task, I think is, uh, is ideal. Excellent. Jay, you're a great
1: guest. I'm going to have you back on. And, um, um, uh, really excited that my audience gets more of you because I did cross post our previous interview and people said like, who's interviewing who? And I felt like, <laughs> I feel like we have a really good um, rapport and dialogue. So it's great to have you. Yeah, thank uh, you so you much, in. Benjamin. So, I, I really appreciated the opportunity. Absolutely. And finish the recording. And wait, what?